First Corinthians chapter 15, if you have your Bibles. First Corinthians chapter 15. In uh, the book of First Corinthians, uh, Paul is dealing with a number of church issues of people who had gotten out of hand. He has to deal with issues of morals. He has to deal with issues of doctrine. He has to deal with issues of division. He has to deal with issues of spiritual gifts that were being used and abused. He deals with issues of the offering and how that had gotten, in some people's minds, out of control. Some were not giving, some were, uh, it was just, you read the book of 1 Corinthians and it's numbers of statements and numbers of issues. The Lord's Supper was out of control. All of, There were numbers of things that Paul is trying to rein in and bring clarity to. In all of that, he would deal with certain issues and he would make a conclusion. And we're going to read one of the concluding statements he's making on the issue of the false teaching that the rapture and the resurrection had passed. And he uses the word victory. God has given the victory. I want to read our text. It's just verse 57. As Paul is dealing with this issue, he's concluding statement, but thank God. He has given us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to think with you about victory. And the first thing I want to talk about is what does victory look like? And I wanted to find a victory celebration that would not have any bearing on any kind of uh, uh, sports teams or, or, or celebrations that would be uh, something that people in, uh, you know, oh, you're just picking a favorite team or whatever. So I found this one. From 2006, Italy won the World Cup in soccer. This is from the Guardian newspaper in England. This is what they filmed when they saw the victory celebration.
That's a picture of the victory. You want to know what victory looks like? People who are excited, people who have joy, as the one girl said, I'm so happy. These weren't people who actually participated in the World Cup. You could tell alcohol was involved in a lot of their celebration. But the reality is, is that they had something to rejoice about. Now, victories like this are short-lived and temporary. 2006, Italy has not done well since 2006. They won the World Cup. They have not uh, even gotten close lately. But what's very interesting about life's victories is that many people put a great value on the temporary victories of life. They look back, and this is why people will get nostalgic in their lives, because they'll point back to a victory they had before. They'll point back to a victory that they experienced back, oh, 2006 or 1992 or something like that. They'll point back to something that in their life was a mark of a victory then and a temporary victory because they haven't had the victory since. People who have the victory have it continually. Paul's not talking about a temporary victory because in life there'll be defeats. No team can go undefeated forever. No nation can go undefeated forever. I could have showed political rallies. I could have showed where candidates won and lost. I could have shown different things where, you know, the pitcher gets buried in a pile on the pitcher's mound when they win the World Series. All these kinds of things happen. And Paul writes and he says that, thank God he has given us the victory. That we have victory. Um, Jesus wants us to have the victory. uh, Matthew 12, 20 says, He will not crush the weakest reed or put out the flickering candle. He will cause justice to be victorious. He wants what is right to come out right. He wants you and I to have the victory in life. And yet some people choose not to. Now, I don't think we need to be walking around the church going, I don't think that's what we need to do. But some people should inform their faces that, you know what? Jesus gave you the victory over sin and death. You walk around with an attitude of a cloud over your head thinking this is good. You treat cynicism, skepticism, and criticism as if they were good virtues to have. As somehow God's gifted you with those. But what's very interesting about people who are cynical, critical, and skeptical is they never have the victory. They're always this cloud. They choose not to. They'll always see the gloom and doom. They'll always see the problems and not what God is doing. They'll always point out how this could have been better or that could have been better. Not to teach, 
But just because they feel superior in that. Psalms 98 verse 1, a new song sung to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won us a mighty victory. And his holy arm has shown his saving power. First John 4, 4. But he who belongs to God, my dear children, you have already won the victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Deuteronomy 28, 13. But if you listen to my commandments, uh, listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, that I am giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will be on top and not the bottom. Romans 8.37 No, despite all things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And there are many, many other scriptures, but it's fascinating how some people just don't want the victory. They don't want it. They want to see doom and gloom and problems and defeat. And it's a choice of life you make. You choose either to see one or the other. This is what Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with doctrinal issues. He's dealing with conflict. He's dealing with attitudes. He's dealing with all sorts of things in the Corinthian church. And he's bringing out, as he's beginning to wrap up this letter... There's one more chapter in this. He's going to deal a little bit with the offerings and then he's going to begin to give his uh, salutations and sign out of the letter. And as he's doing that, he begins to bring out, do you have the victory? That this is the point from the very beginning, from God's faithfulness in verse 9 of chapter 1, that he's going through all of these issues, immorality, false doctrines, all of these things, and pointing us to the victory that Christ wants to give us. The assurance of the victory he gave us uh, has to do with uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 15, he's again, he's laying out the argument. He's just gone through in chapters 12 through 14 about the issue of the gifts. Now in 15, he begins to deal with the issue that some had begun to teach that the resurrection had passed. And he brings out in verses 3 and 4, I pass on to you what is most important and what has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Central to our salvation is Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Some people come to church to celebrate Jesus' life. Other people come like they're going to a funeral. And it's a choice you make in your spirit. Romans 10.9, if we declare openly that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has risen him from the dead, you will be saved. And so Paul is making the argument for the resurrection in chapter 15. And as he's going through this, he makes the statement, if there's no resurrection, then the gospel is is a waste of time because uh, we die, that's it. And if we, if this life is all there is to it, then we are among men most pitiful. We're the, we're 
we're wasting our time. Why be in church? If this life is it, eat, drink, and be merry. Live it up. But he says there's more to this life, of course, because there's a resurrection from the dead. Christ has given us victory over sin and death. God places a great value on the resurrection in the gospel. He focuses on this because without that, we are powerless. But with the resurrection of Christ, we have great power. Power to see our prayers answered. Power to see his will done in the earth. Power over sin. One major reason why people don't have the victory is because they're involved in sin. Sin will cause you not to have the victory. I don't know if you know that. I've, I've counseled, you know, adulterers and things, and you find out very quickly that they, they don't have the victory. They're chasing after something that's an illusion. Secret sin will always cause people not to have the victory. Because it takes value off of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what secret sin does. Jesus did not die for the fallen angels. He died for mankind. The devil's not going to get saved. Only humans can. And if you value that, then you know that God values you. Galatians 2.20, My old self has been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live this in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, my acknowledgement of the love of God is directly linked to whether I'm going to crucify my old self and live for him. God has given us the victory. Paul also brings out that life is more than we see at the moment. Over death. This life is very temporal. Jeremy Stoll pointed out a book, Ken Jenkins. He's a uh, I, of course, I didn't read the book. I'm, I'm tempted to. I, I want to know what to see before I die. But Ken Jenkins, he's the host of Jeopardy, wrote a book, A Hundred Places You Need to See After You Die. Apparently, he knows all things, including the afterlife. It's tremendous. He's a man who does believe there's more afterlife. He's just got a very whacked view of it. puts our life in a very, very great perspective. As one preacher used the illustration, this blank piece of paper, let's say it represents all of eternity. And if we were to put your life as a dot on this paper, you wouldn't see it at all. 
That's how big eternity is and small and short our lives are. That you could think that Paul says there's so much more. Death is not the end. God's given us victory over death. We'll die if Jesus doesn't come first. But we have the promise of more than what we're experiencing now. Is your hope in heaven or is your hope in your own talents? Your own ability to manipulate situations and circumstances. Your own ability to cause your will to be done. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you're trying to create what you can see, your reality, it's going to fail miserably. Because God has a bigger picture in mind. When we're going through issues of life, Paul, we have the victory over death and sin. Two of the most powerful forces on earth. Every one of us will die. Every one of us, death is working in right now. Sin. Who has not sinned? You know, when Jesus said that about the woman caught in adultery, he who was without sin cast the first stone, he was pretty sure no one was going to throw a stone. The Catholic Bible reads that a stone did fly from the back and he turned around and said, Ah, ma, stop it. And so, only Catholics will get that joke. But anyway. The very basis of faith is the things we don't see. We don't see what's after death. People will ask that question, what, what, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And speculating. Streets of gold. We've got this kind of, as Paul says, this hazy mirror. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know it's going to be good. I don't know, you know, streets of gold. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know it'll be good. Pearly gates, mansions. The new, that's more the new Jerusalem, but I, I know it's going to be good. As Glenn Clark used to say, are you going to heaven? Then inform your face. That victory is what Jesus came to give us. That no matter what you're going through, listen to what Paul says in first, in second Corinthians. That is why I never give up. Through our bodies we are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For the present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So why don't we look at the troubles that we can see, rather fix our, uh, fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, and the things we cannot see will last forever. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, No, despite all things, we have overwhelming victory as ours through Christ who loved us. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. 
neither death nor life nor angel nor demon nor fears nor today's worries about tomorrow nor powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No, the sky above and the earth below, indeed nothing in creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what you go through, if you have the victory, it's because you're looking beyond the immediate into eternity. Jonathan Edwards, who caused, was the man who was credited with the sparking of the first great American awakening, is said to have prayed God's stamp eternity on my eyelids. What he meant by that is that when he closed his eyes, he wanted to think about eternity. Always. Because the eternal is what gives us the victory. That's the whole gist of chapter 15. If it's there is no resurrection, if there is no eternity, if there is no Jesus dying and rising from the dead, then this is pointless. But we know there is. That's what gives us the victory. Your problems today, they won't last forever. Unless you choose for them to last forever. But we can have the victory. What God can do, what God is going to do. See, the effort that you have to put in is making the victory yours. Making it yours. A couple of things will help you to do that. One is thankfulness. To be thankful for what God's done. People who don't have the victory complain about everything. They complain. That's why they don't have the victory. It's now, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too this, it's too hard, it's too soft. It's a wonder how Glody Locks ever found a place to fall asleep. First Peter 2.9 But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result... You can show others goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That you can show God's goodness by proclaiming it. You don't show God's goodness by complaining about everything. God's offended by that. Did you know that? If you don't, read Exodus And how when the children of Israel complained, God finally said, enough from your lips to my ears. That's what you get. You want to talk about how bad it is all the time and how I'm not helping you? Fine. Your lips, my ears. That's what you get. Thankfulness changes that. That you thank God for what you do have. You say, God, thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing in my life. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for having grace in my life. Thank you for all that you're doing. 
Burnout, in Lithuania, burnout was a, it's a communist thing. And I don't mean that people who suffer burnout are communists. But the communist mentality gave it over to this thought of burnout. People, they had their sanatoriums. Now, a sanatorium in the United States would be, you know, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of place that, you know, uh, even the staff is crazier than the inmates there. And they're not patients, they're inmates. But sanatoriums in in um, Lithuania and in, in the Soviet Union were were like spas. They were like resorts. You'd go and you'd you know get pedicures and manicures and and spend the day at the spa and and you know if it was the winter you'd go into the sauna and you'd get all you know 900 degrees. Then you'd run out and dive into a frozen lake and then run back into the sauna and you know. It's no wonder why their brains were cooked. But, you know, it just, it's the way it seemed. It's very interesting, though, is that when that carried over, they actually had a word for it in Lithuanian that translates weak nerves. I have weak nerves. Slipness. Weak nerves. And this became an excuse for everything. Oh, my marriage failed. Weak nerves. I have debts. Weak nerves. Really what it was, after living there so long, was complaining about everything. That's how they got their weak nerves. You could just tell by the way that some of them acted. That's that's all they wanted to do was complain. How difficult... They would say life was. It's a choice. That when you are thankful for what you have, changes everything. Paul says, in every prayer you make, do it with thanksgiving. That your requests may be made known to God. Second is you have to be thankful by what you do. The next verse after he says that God has given us the victory. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, be strong, be immovable, always enthusiastically working for the Lord, knowing that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. The sister scripture of that is Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unjust that he will forget how hard you have worked for him and shown the love to him by caring for others who believe as you still do. What you do for God, you can actually say, as Nehemiah said, Lord, remember me. Remember what I've done. Remember what I've been involved in. Remember how I've sacrificed for you in the past. There's nothing wrong with that. That you can say, God, remember me. But don't say, remember me and quit. Remember me and press on. See, burnout comes by people who don't see the reward. And in communism, there is no reward. That's why people burned out. That's why it was 
baked into the communist mentality. There's never a reward. If you get ahead, you might get arrested. Mediocrity was where you wanted to stay. You didn't want to do too little and get noticed. You didn't want to do too much and get noticed. Just be mediocre. That's why people would burn out. See, we have a reward if we labor. God has a reward. This was our whole Sunday school, so I won't belabor it. Victory comes by expectation. Beginning of any sports season, every team has that expectation. We're going to do well. Those that aren't going to do well will say, don't listen to the critics. We're going to do well. We got a chance this year. Then the season happens and life goes on. Do you have an expectation that God can help you, bless you, move in your life, move in your circumstances? Is that expectation there? Because that brings joy. That brings the victory. And finally, you have to make the victory your own. What I loved about this little video from The Guardian, and like I said, I could have gone down a YouTube hole forever. I didn't want to do that. Watching, you know, a million victory celebrations. Politics, you know, all sports, all kinds of events. People who celebrate victories. But here are people on the streets of Milan and Rome and other cities of Italy. They didn't win in Italy. They won in England. 2006, the World Cup was in England. The last game was played in Wembley. Most of you know that for tennis. It was played in that stadium. And Italy won. And people back home made it there. See, we didn't actually win the victory. How many know that? Christ won the victory for us. He did it over there. Maybe it's over there. I don't know. Wherever Jerusalem is. He won the victory for us there. But we can celebrate it here. He won the victory 2,000 years ago, but we can have it today. See, the victory is what Christ gives us. John 3.36, the last recorded words of John the Baptist. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's angry judgment. If you believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life. Don't believe, you're under wrath. It's that simple that you receive Christ, that He will forgive us, and you can have the victory. Don't settle for half a victory. Last, yesterday, tragically, at our basketball tournament, the score was tied 17-17. And the heavens opened up. It rained. The court was too wet to play. 
We had to call the game, and we had to declare it a tie. So we had to divide the winnings between the two teams, because that's not what we were really there for anyway. But as one of the contestants said, it's kind of like kissing your sister. There's just no enjoyment in it. If we don't receive Christ's victory, we're going to miss out. There's no enjoyment in it. Philippians 4.13, For I can do anything, everything. You can translate that word both ways, through Christ who strengthens me. God wants to give you the victory. So then the question What hinders your victory? Is it secret sin? That'll hinder your victory. If there's things going on that you can't be right with Christ over, of course you're not going to have the victory. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you not doing something you should be doing? What is hindering your victory? Others, it's just people who choose. They choose to see the problems. They choose to be cynical, critical. They choose that. That's a choice in life that you have. Choose to worry about everything. Choose to fear about everything. Those are choices you make in life. That you can say, no, I'm not going to live that way. Christ gave me the victory and I want it. Victory happens to the strivers. Run the race so that you may obtain the prize. 1 Corinthians 9.24, we looked at it twice in our Sunday school. Running the race to win the prize. How about the victory? Putting your life in the place that says, I want Christ's victory. If you'll do that, God will bless and help you, and he will give you the victory. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. That's the glorious promise. Christ wants to give you the victory. Sin will destroy the victory, whether it's blatant or hidden, will destroy the victory. Maybe you're here and you're not right with God because there's sin. Sin is not a, oops, I did it again, or a simple, it hinders me in the will of God. It removes you. It disqualifies you from the victory. God wants to qualify you, and it's through his blood. But you have to be honest to deal with the issue of your sin of your situation and say, that's me. I'm not right with God. There's sin in my life. I need to get my heart right with God. Slip up your hand very quickly and say, pray for me. I need Jesus Christ. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe it's secret sin. No one else knows. You do. God does. That should be enough. But one mark of people who have secret sin in their life is they never have the victory. Never. 
It's always problems. It's always skepticism and cynicism and criticism and this and that. It's called reflection. If I'm living as a hypocrite, therefore everybody must be living as a hypocrite. But God wants to set you free. If you'll be honest, that's you. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. I'm not right with God. I'm backslidden. I need to come back to Jesus. Anyone at all, very quickly. Changing the call then to Christians. Victory then for a Christian is a choice. You make a choice to have the victory. You make a choice to say, God's in control. God's won this battle. Even though I may be in the midst of the fight, God's won this battle. God's going to take care of it. God knows what he's doing. He's risen from the dead. He's given me victory over death and over sin. I can have the victory. I can have that joy and that grace in my life. I can, I can know and celebrate what God is doing. Because he has given us the victory. Let's all stand. These altars are open. We're going to sing a song. Worship his name. Jesus, my Savior. Jesus, my Savior.
Give him praise and let's thank him this evening, this morning. Father, we love you. Lord, we rejoice in your goodness and in your grace, God.